from our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Welcome to our Louisiana Eats podcast series, Quick Bites. I'm Poppy Tooker. This summer, the Louisiana Eats team traveled with our Camellia Bean friends to Slow Food Nations in Denver, Colorado. With the theme, Food for Change, Slow Food USA gathered together many of the world's greatest thinkers and influencers to further their goal of good, clean, fair food for all. For three days in July, Denver's Larimer Square was the hot spot for tasting and talking, from the taste marketplace to panel discussions and cooking demonstrations. We've got our first demonstration, beans around the world, beginning at the demo stage in 10 minutes. Chef Alon Shia and I opened the festival's demo stage, presenting beans from a global perspective to show how beans can both represent and adapt to anyone's culinary culture. As a growing crowd gathered that Saturday morning, Alan and I took our places on stage, surrounded by pots and pans and mise en place, ready to cook for everyone assembled. Good. Are you, you guys, hungry? Can you guys hear us? Did the mics just turn on? The there mics are on. Oh, now I hear you. All righty. Well, we started our demo with my take on a traditional New Orleans mufalada, transformed into a salad, utilizing Camellia's cannellini beans with olive salad, cured meats, and cheeses. By the way, did you know that cannellini beans are really white kidneys? Yep. They are the blonde version of our Monday favorite, red beans. Now, here's what's really great about the mufalata salad. The combination of cannellinis and the Italian olive salad is so satisfying that the recipe can be enjoyed without meat if you're vegetarian and without the cheese if you're vegan. I have to say, though, I was surprised to find no vegans in my Denver audience that morning. Is anybody vegetarian? How many? Count them out. Hey, could you guys? We put got a few what? Three, four. Yeah. How about like four or five little tastes, and then we're going to put the meat of the matter into the salad. Ta-da! How about You're, that? You ready to eat? Okay. Well, as I pass this off, I'm going to point out that around my neck today, I'm wearing my lucky fava bean. And it just so happens that Alan is cooking with fava beans today. Yes, I, I am. Take Thank it, Alan. Thank you for Alon. bringing that up. What a great segue. It's like you planned that out or something. So, yes. Alan introduced everyone to the ancient dish called ful, F-U-L, which the Egyptians ate thousands of years ago. The key ingredient is dried fava beans, which Alan soaked overnight peeled and cooked slowly in the style of Louisiana red beans. Really, the, the power of beans in Louisiana is very, very strong. Uh, my wife, AKA the Bean Queen, who you all met earlier, she likes to make red beans and rice every Monday, which is <laughs> traditional in New Orleans. So when I made these fava beans, it was very similar of a feeling of like taking the beans, really stewing them down for hours and hours. So, those beans are gonna get put on top of hummus. Anybody like hummus? 
Alon's hummus recipe showcases another edible seed that has a long tradition of cultivation in ancient agriculture, the garbanzo. That's really, it's like beans on top of beans. Why would you do that? But you see, like, the flavors really come together uh, really amazingly. And this is a dish that, you know, some eggs, fava beans and garbanzo beans and garlic and lemon, like, you could feed an army of, of people on this for like a 10 bucks. You can feed like 30 people dinner. For our final dish, I shared the story of how new and old cultures collide with a kala recipe that incorporates pinto beans. As you might expect, our kala are not very well known in Denver. Raise your hand if you know about the kala. Oh, I've been working so hard on this for so many years, but maybe I'll turn things around here in Denver. Because of course, kala is a traditional New Orleans dish that was once almost extinct. When I started the Slow Food chapter in New Orleans in 1999, we were immediately captivated by the Ark of Taste, a virtual Noah's Ark where endangered foods with significant cultural ties to a place are promoted and preserved worldwide. Here in New Orleans, along with Creole cream cheese and Roman taffy candy, Kala were one of the first things that we all agreed were arc of taste worthy. Traditionally, a Kala is a sweet thing like a beignet, but today we're making it savory because in my attempt to save the Kala, I discovered if we had it savory and sweet, we might get a little more traction. The kind of Kala that we're making today is a new world kala, because one of the points that we are making with our beans and with our story is that the newest bean in New Orleans is really the pinto, because the pinto beans have come on full force thanks to the Hispanic folks who came to help us rebuild the city after Hurricane Katrina. Yes. Do you want to put eggs in there? You want to crack them for me? Sure. How many would you like? Four. I pride myself on my egg cracking abilities. You are, it is magic, Ella. If I try to show off, I can do two at a time. I bet you've been doing this for years. Or three at a time, or four at a time. They won't notice a little shell, don't worry. There we go. That's four. If they were sweet, Kella, we would have sprinkled them with powdered sugar. But since these Kella were savory, we needed a dipping sauce. For our demo, Elan provided a sauce made of mayonnaise mixed with his homemade version of the North African condiment, harissa. If the kala didn't originally get the crowd's attention, Elan's sauce surely did. Can I go ahead and uh, put these do. here? Please I do. I see the fire in their eyes. They look like they're about to revolt. They're hungry. So, so we're going we're gonna to get them served these kala here. Yay, I got a few more in the pot, so don't worry. I hope you worry. guys have enjoyed all of the food so far. I think the best dish is on its way. I don't know Poppy's about that. Poppy's kala look amazing. Thank you, Elon. Kala at me. Yeah, kala at me after you eat the kala. That's right. Kala hey. at me after you eat the kala quenelles. And sure enough, the kala were a hit. Along with the cannellini bean mufalata salad and Elon's hummus fool, our audience appeared satiated and primed for the rest of the Slow Food Nation's weekend. From Elan Shia's garbanzo beans to my pintos and the traditional red beans and rice from Yakaman Lady Linda Green, all the beans served at Slow Food Nations this year came from our very own New Orleans Camellia brand. 
interested in trying your hand at any of these dishes? You can find recipes for all three of them and photos of the event on the Camellia brand website. Poppy Tooker, you're an amazing chef, you're an amazing storyteller. Give it up for Poppy, everybody. And Elan, James Beard Award-winning chef, Denver's new superstar. Watch out, Denver, the competition just arrived from New Orleans. Don't jinx us, we're not even open yet. I'm not jinxing you. You got this one in the bag, baby. Well, thank you guys so much for coming today. It was really our honor to cook for you and talk you through some of our favorite recipes and traditions. Enjoy the rest of the Slow Food Symposium, and we'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you. These are great. That was Alan Shia, who of course went on to receive many accolades for his new Denver restaurant, Softa, which opened in August. While the Louisiana Eats crew was in Denver for Slow Food Nations, we found ourselves surrounded by local and international food leaders who offered their own unique insights into the power of the humble bean. One was farmer Evan Gregoire from Portland, Oregon. An avid seed collector, Evan created Portland Seed House in 2013, focusing on rare and unusual heirloom varieties. Evan is a faithful follower of the slow food philosophy, regularly attending conferences, including the biannual International Slow Food Conference in Italy, Terra Madre. When we spoke in Denver, I asked Greg to explain the connection he sees between beans and seeds. Even when I was in Italy, when I traveled to Italy, I brought beans back with me. And, you know, basically you can declare food or you can declare seeds. And I declared them as food, but at the same time, I came back and I was not going to eat them. I was coming back to plant them is because that's the thing. Beans are just very dried naturally, and so it's not a high heat process. And you can plant probably most of the beans that you get in the stores because they wouldn't be heated, treated, and they would just lose their nutritional values. So a lot of those beans, if they're not too old, will probably just go and germinate. And so that's life in, your, in the palm of your hand. And it's kind of a special, really interesting, super archetypical you know, thing that's in everybody. It has that, that really that inner belief that you have um, those things that uh, we have to grow these seeds in order to establish civilizations. And so it's, it's something way deep inside you that I don't know where it comes from in me, maybe some ancestral, you know, back in Brussels in my hand, the sisterage, but uh, I have no farmers in my background. It's not like I come from four lines of farmers, you know, in a generational pattern. So it's just something we have to explore and then really dig deeper on. Is there a holy grail of seeds that you're searching for? Is there something unattainable? Or conversely, what was your most exciting find? Well, in 2014, I went to Terra Madre. And Terra Madre is a wonderful um, slow food conference in, in Torino, Italy. And some of the things, they have Presidia items. And the Presidia items are basically products that have been established for many, many, even hundreds, if not thousands of years. And so some of the beans, actually, I brought back from uh, a Tuscan region uh, called the Panzerid bean. Um, and it's a 12, uh, 12 beans that grow in this Tuscan valley. And it's one of the village's beans. And it's the most spectacular. You can make jewelry out of it. 
I mean, it's that it's that spectacular. It's mottled red, um, very crimson on one side, and then very white, um, shiny, glossy on the other. And so it has this dual tone pattern to it. But then it grows into these wonderful, fresh-eating uh, shelling beans, just like uh, some of the wonderful um, borlado types and things like that. But it's a very regional bean to a very exclusive family, as family's village region uh, in Italy. So that's one of the things is just finding those very unique things and those unique beans in, in, in Italy and in, in Tierra Madre and, and that and that's how Slow Food brought it all together for me essentially. How do you see your place in sort of saving the world? What is the thing that you do that gives the most back to you? Definitely seeing people uh, tell me that they're rocking with uh, a certain type of bean or a certain type of tomato that I uh, sent to them in New Mexico or Florida or Maine or, you know, Sweden or, or anywhere because it's the bigger picture. I mean, we're, it, we're not, you know, you can't solve, you know, this problem in my lifetime, you know, in terms of I feel like this is a lot larger problem that's going to be, you know, it's, it's, there's a, I'm so bad with cliches, but there is a cliche that goes, goes like that. And, and it's just one of those things where you have to look beyond that. And so if we can all do our little drops in the buckets right now, in two generations, three generations, we'll be looking back at our generations going, you know, that's where they started seed saving. And that was the crux. And that was the pinnacle of, you know, the change. And even when we had a, a difficult time in the bureaucracy, you know, we still are, you know, huddling together and, um, there's so many wonderful cliches that you guys should throw out there about about seeds, but it's a uh, you can't bury us, you know, you can't bury us because we're seeds. They didn't know we were seeds or whatever. There's that Mexican proverb, and so that's really what it is. I mean, it's life, and it's um, when you touch it, it has an amazing energy and uh, amazing just um, just just it's that energy of life. After talking with Evan, we had the opportunity to speak with Slow Food International's General Secretary Paolo De Croce. Paolo also believes that beans can change the world. Definitely, we believe that that we have, uh, you know, that we organize Terra Madre, that maybe is considered the the biggest uh, event, global event on small scale farming, food, food quality, and there are many specific activities, especially on beans, and uh, on the different variety of beans, because there are thousand varieties everywhere in the world, and uh, we have to promote diversity, and we have also to promote consumptions that uh, are different from, uh, you know, eating meat twice a day or or doing the same thing that the majority of people are still doing. So I really think that you are doing something very, very important, uh, not only for the future of the planet, but uh, already for the present of the planet. In addition to beans providing an alternative protein source and promoting diversity, they can also play an important role in the fight against food injustice. We spoke with academic and activist Raj Patel, who researches and advocates for sustainable models of agriculture. Raj explained to us how beans can help communities return to more natural systems. One of the joys of agroecology uh, is that it's the opposite of monoculture. And monoculture is where you grow one thing and uh, you have to annihilate the rest of the, the, the field in order to be able to get your one thing. Beans are uh, like the spine of agroecology. You can't have a rich and vibrant ecosystem without some way of getting nitrogen back in the soil. Beans are great for that. You can't really have a balanced diet without a rich source of protein. Beans are great at that. You can't really have a viable climate change, you know, robust agricultural system without a crop that can withstand extremes of heat and you know weird weather events. Uh, some beans are fantastic at that. Um, so I, I, I absolutely think that um, beans 
they're not just good for your heart. The more you eat, the more you will save the planet. I, I think that that's true, but they have to be eaten in concert with a range of other things. Um, there's no miracle cure. There's no, I mean, I, I, I imagine when we go out and have a look around the slow food market, there'll be people saying, if only everyone ate insects, everything would be fine. Or if we ate goji berries, or who knows what those things are. I mean, or whatever it is, quinoa, um, we will save the planet. And that's not true. There's no miracle thing that we eat that and only that and everything will be fine. Uh, what we need is diversity. And beans are a, part, part, a really important sort of anchor crop of a very rich and diverse ecosystem. highlight of our trip to Denver was the opportunity to sit down with Chef Rick Bayless. Rick is a James Beard award-winning chef with several restaurants in Chicago. He also hosts his own public television series, Mexico, One Plate at a Time. During our conversation, the topic of beans came up, and Rick shared with me the connections he sees between our New Orleans red beans and rice tradition and his own experiences. So that's very interesting that you talk about beans in New Orleans as being a Monday thing. Uh, when I was growing up, beans were also, I grew up in Oklahoma City, and beans were also a typical Monday thing. And I think it's from the same tradition, which is that used to be wash day. Mm -hmm. And so people would have a very simple meal on wash day because the women of the house, I mean, we're going back a really long time. Hopefully there's more gender equality now, but let's just go back and say the women of the of the household were spending their whole day doing all this wash and it was not just throwing stuff in a washing machine I mean it was doing everything by hand and so they would they would make really simple meals that same meal is had in the Yucatan Peninsula uh, they do a black bean dinner or not well a black pot of black beans with some pork in it and that's dinner on Mondays in the Yucatan Peninsula isn't it interesting how that in New Orleans in the Yucatan in Oklahoma City that the tradition of having a bean meal on Mondays um, took deep root and I, I guess it's just one of those things that that kind of grew up through cultures what kind of beans were were those that you were eating in Oklahoma City? Okay, so we would cook pinto beans with ham hock, okay, and then we would serve it always with um, a, what my grandmother called chow chow, and chow chow, in our way of thinking of it, was pickled jalapenos, that was the base of it, raw carrots, you put all this through a meat grinder, so pickled jalapenos, uh, raw carrots, and a small amount of cabbage, and then that would sort of pickle along with everything else. Some people put onion in it, some people didn't, but my grandmother used to make that and then can it, and then we would have that always on the, that Monday bean dinner with cornbread. We didn't have it with rice. You guys have, your starch was rice, ours was cornbread. And honest to God, that was my favorite meal of the week. The, the pintos cooked with ham hock, the chow chow, and the cornbread. Well, it sounds to me like in your life you have been on a very long journey with beans, Rick. Yeah. Take us from the pintos in Oklahoma to what you do today. And I'd like to know from you the importance to you of beans in the world today. So uh, when I went to Mexico for the first time, I went to Mexico City. Mexico is divided into two 
sections bean wise okay there's the part that's north of mexico city and that um is the light colored beans you could think about pintos but there's one that's called bayo that's kind of a pinkish color flor de mayo which is a tanner color um, but those are the northern beans and then south mexico uh, just north of mexico city it switches and everybody goes into black beans and all the rest of mexico is all about black beans and when i had the opportunity um, to live in mexico for a long time one of the places i lived was in oaxaca and i i fell in love with this one small black bean that's that's their heirloom bean. Um, it comes from a small town in the South Valley um, called San Antonio. And it makes the absolute blackest bean broth you could ever imagine. And so they cook that up, and you can make it into soup if you want to. But in Oaxaca, they like to puree the beans completely and then um, do a frying in the pan. I know that everybody in the United States calls these beans refritos or frijoles refritos. And, they say they, and then we translate it as refried beans. It's, it, that refritos in Spanish means really well-fried beans, not fried again, but well-fried beans. So frijoles refritos are these ones where you make this black bean puree and it's jet black. And then you put some fresh rendered pork lard into a skillet. And then you add the bean puree and you just cook it, cook it, cook it. And it almost becomes like this this bean paste. And in fact, they often, especially in the state of Veracruz, they'll roll it out like it was a French rolled omelet. And they'll roll it out onto a plate and sprinkle it with fresh cheese over the top of it. It's, it's absolutely spectacular. And that stuff has so many uses. I mean, you can spread it on a bread and then put a little cheese over the top of it and make what's called a mollete. Um, you can serve it alongside things. You can serve it at room temperature. It's really delicious. Spread on a toast and then topped with a little pickled pig's feet if you're inclined to that direction. Um, but there's so many different things that you could do with it. We mentioned earlier uh, about the Yucatan Peninsula and the black bean dinner that they do there uh, typically on the Mondays. Um, and that one is flavored with pork, but then it has this, um, this sauce on the side that is tomato with habanero chili. Um, it's a cook sauce, actually, that you kind of add to it. And then oftentimes they'll do an habanero habanero chili relish to go with it so really making it a lot spicier oh you're making me so hungry <laughs> hungry for beans you can tell i love beans i grew up in beans well and then well, the one thing i didn't say is that i've eaten beans since i was a little kid not just that pinto bean dinner but remember, I grew up in a barbecue restaurant, and one thing that you always find in a barbecue restaurant is barbecue beans or baked beans. And so I grew up on that, and I still love them to no end. Is there a favorite bean dish in your restaurants that people really come to you for? Well, we change our menus all the time, so um, those poor guests, they can't just always <laughs> assume that we're going to have everything that we, we have had in the past. So if you fall in love with a dish, you might need to call ahead and see if it's on the menu. Uh, but I will say we do a sort of elegant version of that black bean dinner, that Yucatan black bean dinner, uh, with a roasted suckling pig on it that to me is just one of the best dishes you'll ever eat. And we also always, we make that the uh, Oaxaca style bean puree cooked down with the fresh rendered pork fat 
And we serve that alongside Oaxacan black mole, which is the one dish that's always on the menu in our fine dining place, Topolobampo. And we serve that with Wagyu beef and black mole, that little bit of beans, and then there's changing things, other things go on that plate. But I, I will say that flavor of beans, black beans, and mole, that you can't, you can't beat that. That's just a match made in heaven. After spending so much time talking beans with food leaders from around the globe at Slow Food Nations, I knew I couldn't leave without sitting down for a chat with New Orleans native son, Richard McCarthy. Richard is the founder of the Crescent City Farmers Market and today heads up Slow Food USA. As the sun began to set on that warm July evening, Richard and I tucked into a cozy spot on Larimer Square, just around the corner from where Elan and I gave our cooking demonstration. We talked about beans and their connection to Slow Food's mission. Of course, not everyone knows that you hail from New Orleans, but of course all New Orleans knows that. And I am so tickled and pleased that you felt Camellia brand beans had a place here at Slow Food Nation. Why was that important to you? Well, for one, I grew up with Camellia beans. And uh, I mean, I have a personal, emotional connection to it. But I think even more than that, there is something about the longevity of a family enterprise in a day and age that thinks in the 24-hour news cycle, where long-term planning means three weeks. And Camellia can teach us about what it means to invest in a place and to build an enterprise that lasts for several generations. So I think that story, that narrative, is something that we wanted to bring to Slow Food Nations in a place like Denver that is a very new community that may not understand the importance of investing and believing in a place. But even beyond that, our theme this year is food for change, recognizing that indeed food is a cause of climate change. One-fifth of uh, carbon emissions are due to food. Food is also a victim of climate change. The, bio, the, the loss of biodiversity is, is tragic. And, you know, when I think about that, I get really depressed. I want to curl up in a fetal position. Except that when I think about food, more importantly, it is a solution for climate change. And it's one that we can taste and touch every single day. And what we need to begin to change the narrative of these sort of old-fashioned businesses like Camellia Beans is that they're in carbon farming. They support the farmers who are putting carbon back into the soil. There is nothing more important than more grain and legume and bean production. And they do that not in some little boutique corner of the world. They do it in mainstream supermarkets, impacting everyday people with everyday cooking. And then add on top of that, their business is dried beans. And I'm sure, Poppy, you've experienced this. Young people have no idea how easy it is to prepare a meal with dried beans. They're opening up cans, they're op opening up their freezer. Dried beans are like 
I think almost the answer to the very question about is the food movement, is slow food elitist? I can't think of anything more slow food than eating a meal prepared from dried beans. And that is the food of peasants. That is the food of ancient food of communities who farm and live and eat and believe in a place. And so for Camellia, this extraordinary family enterprise to be here, to be part of this in the middle of the country, new terrain where we celebrate the importance of beans as the basis of every cultural food is exciting because we know that red beans and rice, and in particular Camellia's red beans and rice, are like what defines who we are. But when I think of um, chickpeas and the role of, of uh, hummus in every Middle Eastern culture and the fact that that is such an important product that Camellia produces. And pintos. And pinto beans, when, and especially being here in Denver with an extraordinarily vibrant and large um, uh, Mexican population, uh, pinto beans are identifiable as to who we are. And this is the exciting thing about food. Food is and should always be so much more than just fuel. Food, and we should defend this um, heroically, that food provides us with a profound sense of joy and pleasure, first of all. And this is our mirepoix, the food movement. First of all, profound pleasure. Secondly, an important sense of identity. And I think of the red bean, it says we are, fraught, we are Creoles in New Orleans. The pinto bean, we are Mexicans or we are First Nations in the Southwest. An important sense of identity and we must defend our identities in a time of horrific global homogenization. But beyond that, the most important element is the third, which is that food is a bridge between people. And we have got to build more bridges and fewer walls. And food is the means to do that. When I saw that the theme was food for change, I began to think, to me, beans are the rock star of food for change. They are. First of all, the seasonality. Doesn't matter what season you're in, there's a bean that'll go beautifully <laughs> along with what's seasonal. Um, eat less meat. Well, beans are that meat substitute. They yeah. simply are the food for change. But there's another idea I wanted to plant in you. Hmm. I spoke with a member of your delegation today who is a seed farmer. And he told me beans are life. And that's because beans really are seeds. So Richard, when we eat beans, I think we're planting seeds within ourselves. Hmm. <laughs> I love that because we are the change. We are the change. We are the change. It's plant we the change, see. eat the change, be the change. Be the change. Or <laughs> bean the change. Bean the change. Bean the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> That was Richard McCarthy and a host of international food leaders at Slow Food Nations in Denver, Colorado. 
I hope this Quick Bite episode has inspired you to bean the change you want to see in the world. New Orleans' own Camellia brand beans are ready to help. With 19 varieties of dried beans, peas, and lentils available, there's one for every palate and every occasion. If you can't find Camellia brand beans at your local grocer, first complain, and then proceed to Amazon.com, where the full line is offered. Even better, just go to CamelliaBrand.com and order direct from New Orleans. You'll love Camellia's website, where there's a wealth of great information and recipes you'll want to get on the stove tonight. This Louisiana Eats podcast was made possible with special support from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. You'll find a link to Camellia's website in today's show notes, along with the recipes from our Slow Food Nations demo. If you enjoyed this Louisiana Eats Quick Bite, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss a delicious upcoming serving of Louisiana Eats. Visit poppytooker.com for lots more recipes and delicious food ideas, too. Louisiana Eats original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Thanks to Joe Schreiner, who produced this podcast, and Maddie Mulladew, our social media maven. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. This Louisiana Eats Quick Bite was produced by Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. 